0: SleepCoolNow.com, 1212.
1: This is hour number two of the World According to Zig podcast for this November 10, 2018. My name is John Ziegler. This is the show where you can still get the truth about the news of the day from a conservative perspective in this world turned totally completely upside down our website is com, and as is usually the case our number two is our interview hour and this one is as good as it gets uh i was a little worried about this interview before we recorded it because it's with my very good friend congressman john yarmouth john and i uh have known each other uh, for uh when did we first meet it would have been uh in 2002 so my gosh it's been 14 years but it's not just been 14 years it's been through a lot of stuff uh and john is one of my favorite people in the world despite the fact that he's a liberal democratic congressman and we've had a lot of um on and off the air a lot of very uh, heartfelt and very i think important conversations uh, especially in the trump era and i was worried about this one because now the the issue of potentially Trump's impeachment is no longer theoretical it is very much practical and I uh, predicted a long time ago with John on this podcast uh, that eventually um, the Democrats would take the house uh, and uh, he would uh, I predicted he would be a house impeachment manager uh, when the inv- inevitable impeachment proceedings against Trump uh, took place and this was well before we even knew a lot of what's been going on in the whole Mueller and Rush investigation. Uh, it just felt very much like that's where we're headed. Uh, but John made some comments this week which indicated to me uh, that um, he was very much hedging on impeachment and may in fact be against impeachment. And uh, since he's now going to be the, the head of the the chairman of the Budget Committee and he's a member of leadership uh, on the Democratic Caucus, that concerned me greatly, especially since John is probably the smartest person in the entire Democratic Caucus and and really someone who's a big favorite with Nancy Pelosi. So uh, in this conversation, I was concerned about how heated it might get, because John and I have never really had, we have in all our years, we've never had a really knock-down, drag-out, fierce, uh, relationship-threatening argument. I was concerned that this might be one. Well, when you listen to this interview about halfway through, you're going to hear an exchange that is extraordinary, because... John uh, says that I have uh, come as close as I possibly can to changing his mind about uh, impeachment. Now, that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean I've succeeded, but it's about as close as I could possibly have asked to get. And I think you'll find it to be uh, remarkably compelling on that topic and a bunch of others. So uh, here uh, just recorded is our interview with uh, Congressman John Yarmuth from Louisville, Kentucky. Congressman John Yarmuth, welcome back to the podcast.
2: Thank you, John. Always good to be with you.
1: Well, I'm, I'm assuming it's particularly good this week, uh, since uh, it appears very much that you're headed for a promotion. Uh, I, I, did you ever imagine, uh, when we first met, that you would one day be the uh, chairman of the Budget Committee of a, the House of Representatives?
2: Uh, no, I can't say that I did. I, I actually never thought I'd be in Congress after uh, 12 years. So um, it's... Uh, it's a pretty interesting prospect, and I'm looking forward to it. I, I, we've got some exciting ideas, and it's great to be back in the majority, even though it's in a majority that probably can't uh, enact anything. <laughs> but uh, I think there, there are a lot of possibilities for us. And And I think being in the majority, we've saved democracy, at least for the time being.
1: Well, I hope so, and I want to talk to you about that. But let's talk a little bit about what happened first. Um, this, the results as they've now turned out and, and every day, it appears as if it's getting better for you guys. Uh, I don't, I don't know how you would characterize it, but how did, how did the results turn out in comparison to what you were expecting or hoping
2: for? Well, I predicted 40 seats, which is where we'll, we'll probably get close to that. Uh, when all the votes are counted. So the, the result kind of met my expectations as far as the house were concerned, was concerned, I think realistically, we all didn't expect to take the Senate back, but we thought, well, if the, if the wave gets big enough, there's a possibility. And we probably all got a little bit too excited about Beto O'Rourke. But um, in terms of the House, for sure, um, we met our expectations.
1: And what do you think, what was this campaign about, John? I mean, because I, I, I can't figure it out. What, what do you think this campaign was about?
2: Oh, I think it was totally about Donald Trump. And I think issues made very little difference. The polling showed that health care was the number one issue. Uh, my campaign, to the extent it dealt with issues, focused on health care. But ultimately, I don't think, I really don't think the campaign made much difference. I think it was, uh, there were certain people in the country who were just who for two years had waited for this vote. And they were salivating over the prospect for a long time. And so it wasn't like, oh, gosh, it's elections coming up in a, in a few days. I guess I'll go vote. It was this was the big game that they had circled on their calendar for two years. And to a certain extent, I think for the vast majority of voters, it, it was a, their decision had already been made long before the campaign started.
1: I tend to agree with you about that, Uh, but if you're going to interpret anything from the results from a political standpoint, you could certainly argue that moderate Democrats did a heck of a lot better uh, than liberal or progressive Democrats did. At least that's what the the numbers and the results indicate. Is that a message that's going to resonate within your caucus?
2: Um, That's a good question. And you know, I, I know, for instance, Connor Lamb, who won that special election in Pennsylvania and then won re- re-election Tuesday in a in a a different district. Um, they say Connor's a moderate on most things. He really wasn't. I mean, he, his positions are pretty much in the mainstream of of Democratic progressive thinking. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know what, for instance. Uh, Cherise Davis. I mean, she's. I think she's a pretty progressive candidate. Yes, there were some people who um, talked about improving the Affordable Care Act instead of Medicare for all, but I'm not sure that really paints them as moderates. So you're uh, not buying. So you're not buying. I'd have to go back through race by race to tell you that I'm not so sure I buy that narrative.
1: Really? Okay, because it, it seems pretty clear. I mean, uh, certainly. Uh, I mean, here in California, for instance, you guys are going to pick up a bunch of seats and they're they're all the Democratic winners in the close races are uh, much more out of the moderate mold. Now, maybe it's in messaging more than it is. In philosophy, see, I, I've always felt like your success is based on the fact that philosophically you're a liberal, but you you look and sound like uh, like you're you're not crazy, uh, right. and and that <laughs> you, you, you know you you look like you actually could be a Republican. You were a Republican at one point. Uh, um, and so that to me is the key to your um, to to your uh, success, especially in a place like Kentucky, uh, and and so it appears to me as if. Um, whether it's based in reality or just a really good job of perception uh, that that has happened especially here in California uh, and in some other places so but 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 what I'm getting from your answer is that no that's not going to resonate <laughs> that, that you guys are going to feel like well no um, you know the, these people are all liberals or progressives anyway and so therefore there's nothing to rein us in from our our natural inclination to be very progressive is, is that a fair assessment of what you think the temperature yeah,
2: is? I, yeah I think that's 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 the way I look at it. I mean, you. And then the other side of it is you had two decidedly liberal uh, people in the South, who the, whose elections have not yet totally been decided, but who got very close in Georgia and Florida. Uh, Stacey Abrams and and uh, Andrew Gillum, and
1: and Beto, are, of course.
2: and they and they are identified. And this goes to your point about perception. They're both being identified as being extremely liberal candidates. I'm not sure that's true. Amy McGrath, who ran in Central Kentucky and got very close to unseating a, a Republican incumbent, but didn't get there, she was identified as a as a moderate. I think because she was a military veteran, right. But but her positions weren't particularly out of line with mine, right. So uh, you know, it's again, I think perception is probably uh, the more important. Uh, standard there that well um, well, let's change actually put what they, what they stood for. I get
1: what you're saying, and I think that's fair and, and and I appreciate your as always your honesty on that. but but there is a more substantive way to look at this, which is where I'm heading next, which is that a, a, a very significant number of your new house freshmen got elected saying that they would not vote for Nancy Pelosi to be the speaker of the house my my, my understanding that if everyone held to that uh, pledge she would not be able to get enough votes clearly on the first ballot uh, to be speaker and yet it sure seems as if it's a foregone conclusion that Nancy Pelosi is in fact going to be the speaker of the house let's be clear first of all do you agree that that is a foregone conclusion that Nancy Pelosi will be the next speaker of the house
2: I don't believe that's a foregone conclusion I do believe that over the last few weeks, it appears more and more likely that she would be. And I think that's largely because there has been no one who's put their hand up and said, I'm going to challenge her. On the other hand, the numbers haven't really changed. There are somewhere between nine and 15 returning members who have said they aren't going to vote for her. There are, depending on what the final decision is on some of these races, about a dozen, at least a dozen incoming freshmen who've said they won't vote for her. And now some of them have hedged a little bit, but basically that's the number. So if you're talking about more than 20 who've said they won't vote for her, it, then it's going to be tough for her. If they, if they carry through with that, it's going to be tough for her to get 218 votes okay That's just the, the reality of it and and I think most everybody in the caucus understands that um but again, because there's no no challenger to her people I think a lot of people said, okay well it looks like she's gonna return a speaker
1: all right well, let's play this out a little bit because I'm fascinated to hear you say this and and by the way it's 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 not in your self interest to say this right i mean it's you know the self interest would be you know, go Nancy, go, because uh, you're not because you're not one of those people. You've never said you're gonna you're not going to vote for uh, Nancy. No, I've,
2: I've said I am going to vote for her.
1: Right, if, and so so if, she,
2: if her name's in nomination, I'm going to vote for her. So
1: I find this to be fascinating that you're saying it's not a foregone conclusion. So let's let's, right. let's game plan this out then. So okay. um so she uh, puts her name uh, or I I've, I don't even know exactly how it happens, but so there, her name is in nomination for for speaker, and um. What happens if nobody else puts their name in? I mean, or, or, or does it not work that way? Take us. A... Well, oh,
2: sorry, here's, here's the way it works. Uh, uh, real quickly, on on November 28th, I think there's a date. The Democratic Caucus will meet and have a vote, secret ballot, on whom we will nominate, whom the Caucus will nominate as Speaker. That is a majority vote. So if we have, let's say, we have 230. Right. Democrat. Okay.
1: So Nancy will be the name out of that.
2: Right. I Nancy mean, will be the name out of that. She right. will get a majority. Now, she might get 170 if somebody puts up their hand and says, uh, has to be nominated. And then it becomes a little bit more problematic for her if only 170 uh, Democrats vote for her. Then you have to seriously question whether she can get 18 to 18. But let's assume it doesn't matter. She gets the majority. Her name's put in nomination uh, on the floor. And people start to vote. Roll call vote on the floor, name by name. If she does, People can vote for whomever they want. Right. So in past years, for instance, uh, some of our members have voted for John Lewis instead of her. Some of our members have voted for Muhammad Ali, hypothetical. I mean, you can vote for anybody. Right, right. Uh, yeah, so then, then the question is, if she doesn't get to the, the 218, there's another vote. And you keep going until somebody gets to 18.
1: Okay, so let me let me uh, put on my uh, my my logical cap here, and 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 tell you what I think is going to happen. So um, no one's going to have the balls in the caucus to take Nancy on. Uh, so she'll get. Whatever it, the number will be, um, out of the caucus because no one's got, it's a secret vote. No one will know about that. So, right. so, so even the people who have pledged not to vote for her uh, can get brownie points by by voting for her with That's no right. with with no uh, blowback. So then uh, we go to the to the to the floor where it's a public vote, and those that have pledged, those that want to keep their pledge, um, can decide not to vote. They can just take a pass in the vote. Right? They don't have to vote for anybody. Right? Uh,
2: right they can they can vote present right
1: they can vote present and because republicans don't have enough votes to come anywhere near even without all those all those people can hold to their pledge nancy will still have the most votes uh of anybody but she won't get the 218 so then there'll be a a second ballot and on the second ballot you guys can then just decide. Okay, who wants to um, uh, be the ones that will, you're not technically breaking your pledge? You didn't vote for, it, but now you know you can argue that you're in a situation where uh, we have to choose between Nancy Pelosi and uh, Jim Jordan being the next Speaker of the House, and and, and no one's going to blame them for that, right? I mean, I mean, is that is that a logical scenario? Uh,
2: that is a possible scenario. Yeah. Now, um, obviously. We're not going to let Jim Jordan <laughs> be speaker, and the question would be at that point if how much short of two eighteen or the, if, if if there are people not there, it's it's a majority of those there and voting. So, uh, actually, if you vote present, you're you still, oh. may, you still count okay uh, as being there and voting. All right, so there. then
1: that makes sense to vote present then because you're not you're not harming the the ratio at all.
2: It well except there are some people who think that a freshman member could get away with that but the first thing that would happen is the you know the, the Republican campaign committee would immediately start running ads saying first thing first vote that they took they violated their pledge so i don't i don't think that's a particularly safe course of action for any of the new members and then clearly we it would it would there's no way that Jim Jordan or anyone else could get a major. any other Republican could get a majority. So the vote would continue until somebody did. And I assume at some point another name would or two would come into the equation, and then you'd um, see who the alternatives would be. My guess is if Nancy can't get 218, then Steny Hoyer can't get 218 because Nancy's loyalists would never vote for him. And then you, just the, ne, the next person in the hierarchy is Jim Claiborne, all three of them in their late 70s. And Jim's loved by everyone in the caucus. Um, but I don't you know it's hard to tell. I, I think there are, there are several groups going on that are working now to change the, the leadership. There's one group that wants to make sure Nancy doesn't become speaker. There's another group that thinks that all three of the top leaders, should be replaced, and so well, it could get it could get sort of chaotic if Nancy doesn't get uh, the okay. Uh, well, what's the scenario the then? Votes Jan- needed on the first ballot.
1: So what's the scenario then where, where Nancy does get the votes needed on the first ballot? The,
2: the, the one scenario is if that if all these contested races go our way, and then you're up over 240 or near 240 seats, and she has a little bit bigger margin of error, and then she convinces a couple of the 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 uh, returning members who had said they won't vote for her to, to do it. I mean, she gives them a committee assignment or something, and then she can let all of the all of the, the freshman members can vote against her, and it wouldn't affect it. But uh, so the math changes dramatically depending on how these last dozen um, undecided seats uh, fall Interesting.
1: Out. Very, very interesting. Now, see, to, to me, and you and I have talked a lot about this off the air, but I've always presumed that... Nancy um, was basically betting that, that a coup against her would fail, mainly because no one capable of pulling it off would have the guts to do it because the repercussions of failure are so great. And let's be clear, I mean, you guys don't have a huge... bench of well-known people Uh, you got to have at least some celebrity uh to be able to to do this you need some experience and and seniority and let's also face it most of the people in that category are now looking at promotions like you are to being committee chairman so and who's going to make that decision (laughs) it's going to be done by by nancy pelosi so am, am i right that nancy has bet all along that, uh, hey, I'm going to let um, our candidates do whatever they want to get elected, uh, but that when push comes to shove, I know I'll be victorious because no one's going to have the guts or the, or the political ability to take me out. Is that a fair assessment?
2: I think that's a totally fair assessment. I think it's exactly the way she's been thinking. And she may end up being right. I mean, uh, clearly she is now basically... Um, Neutralize the argument that she's a big drag on the ticket mm-hmm. uh, because we won with her, uh, with her as the top Democrat. Right. So you can't make that argument. She raised over $100 million for the caucus in this cycle, which is unbelievable. She traveled all around the country. I think her, her best argument uh, is that she's the only person who has um, led the caucus with a, a Republican president in the White House. Which she did under the last two years of the Bush administration, and she did a great job of, uh, at that. So, and you're right, there really isn't a a, a person who's the next generation who has the, who uh, has the the stature right now to uh, to succeed her.
1: Now, I I'm fascinated to hear what you and the caucus thought of uh, President Donald Trump offering to help out with uh, some extra Republican votes uh, should Nancy Pelosi need them. Uh, And he and he was clearly not joking about this because at his press conference, he reiterated it and basically said, no, I'm serious. Uh, What was your reaction and the reaction of the caucus to that?
2: (laughs) I think everybody understands that you can't take anything that Donald Trump says seriously. So, you know, what what I know, or at least what I strongly believe is that uh, Donald Trump will make a decision, and that is whether he wants to um, have a legislative accomplishment or several with which to campaign in 2020, or whether it's better for him just to have de- Democrats to demonize. Mm-hmm. And I think the odds are he'll choose demonization. But on the other hand, if it, you know, and Mitch has a lot to do with this, too, Mitch McConnell, because we will, we will pass things, I'm convinced, that have very, very broad support across the country mm-hmm. in a num- in a number of areas. And then Mitch is going to have to decide whether he wants to put his members in difficult position running for re-election in 2020. He's up for re-election in 2020. And, you know, we- we'll pass a universal background check for gun purchases, which has 90 percent support in the country. And if he doesn't call it up for a vote, then he's going to be in trouble. Uh, and he'll put, if he does, he puts some of his members at risk. But I think you know, that would probably pass in the Senate. So it, it, there are all sorts of interesting scenarios to play out. But ultimately, I think Trump, like everything, is going to decide that uh, what's in his best interest politically and um, and ego egotistically. Right. And I suspect it'll be just demonizing.
1: Okay, well, I, w- I want to address uh-huh. that. I want to get into that further, but there's two things that I need to tie up before we, we move on. First of uh-huh. all, you mentioned Mitch McConnell's running in 2020. You're going to run against him, right? <laughs> no. Oh, John. No. John, this is the ultimate way for your career to come
2: to an end. <laughs> or, or, I, I mean, We probably would. I mean, Mitch is very unpopular in the state. He's, um, he's down around 30% approval rating statewide. He's the you know, fourth or fifth. Uh, least popular well I think he's actually the least popular senator in his state in the country Um,
1: so why not run against him then John
2: because I don't I think I want to be in the Senate for six years at this point in my, for six more years after. Are you kidding? 2020,
1: Dianne Feinstein is 85 years old and just won
2: re-election. You're a spring I, I chicken. Know, but she doesn't play golf. <laughs> no, no. And I don't want. I don't want to retire from the Senate when I can only hit the ball 150.
1: <laughs> uh, okay, you've played. You've, you've knowingly played the correct card with me. Um, <laughs> there
2: you go. Okay, but okay. But here, here, here's the thing. I, I will say about running against Mitch in 2020, seeing what just happened with the money that's out there in the country, uh, whoever runs against Mitch McConnell, whoever is the nominee, will raise $20 million without lifting a finger. I mean, money's going to pour into this state from everywhere to beat him. So uh, I think that's a that's one thing that any candidate will be able to count on, he will not. He will not have the money to, uh, to just to blow them away
1: with. Um. Uh, you know, senators play a lot of golf, John. I mean, Lindsey Graham. <laughs> l- Lindsey Graham talks about Lindsay playing Graham golf. Does. yeah,
2: you're well, right.
1: So I mean, you might want to reconsider this, but because I think you'd beat him. Um, I, I you know, but l- 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 but l-
2: I'll well, say, well, we can talk about that another. Yeah, time.
1: we'll table. <laughs> well, I'm going to table that one for a moment because there's many other things I need to get to. But uh, just for the record, if Donald Trump ever. Uh, told the Republican congressional caucus hey I need some votes for Nancy Pelosi uh, it, how many do you think he would get no I, I don't know
2: that he could count on any
1: right I agree yeah yeah zero yeah. he would get zero yeah, be... they don't care they
2: don't care what he asked for
1: right I mean and you know, some of them might be afraid of him enough to where they would yeah. pretend to but I just can't believe anybody would I mean that would just be Unbelievable. Uh, um, But okay, so you already mentioned that Donald Trump has a decision to make as to whether or not he's going to demonize Nancy Pelosi, uh, assuming she's the next speaker, which you say is not a foregone conclusion or deal with Nancy Pelosi. So let's look at it from your guys perspective, because, as you know, I'm sure you remember this. About a, uh, a year and a half ago, um, we got together on this podcast, and I said, "John, uh, here's what's going to happen. Uh, you guys are going to take the house, uh, and you guys are going to have a decision to make because uh, there's going to be all these impeachable offense offenses that uh, Trump will have uh, been at least suspected of having committed, and you're going to need to make a decision as to whether or not uh, do you go after him or do you use." that reality as leverage to get what you want legislatively. And now here we are and that's basically almost exactly the situation. And uh, so how would you answer that question with regard to uh, are you and your leadership are are you more inclined to hold Trump accountable or are you going to use that accountability as leverage to get him to dance to your tune?
2: Um well, I think we're going to hold them accountable in a lot of ways, and but I, but I think that's just part of our our responsibility as a co-equal branch of government. But you know, a, a impeachment <clears throat> is a is a political process and not a legal one. In order to have any credibility, it, assuming that that it had any chance of working, I mean, in terms of getting a conviction in the Senate. Uh, it has to have by, it has to have some bipartisanship to it, or it would never have credibility through the country. So I don't think uh, right now that there's virtually anyone in the caucus who believes that that's worth our time and energy uh, and in fact, could back backfire politically. Uh, you know I've talked to one of the there are two impeachment resolutions that were introduced in this caucus. I was a co-sponsor, Well, I am a co-sponsor of one of them. And the sponsor has, it feels exactly the way I do in terms of actually trying to move something in the next Congress. So unless something changes, unless uh, the Mueller investigation brings something more out, I mean, it's kind of interesting because the Wall Street Journal article that appeared um, a few days ago, which uh, documents pretty well the fact that he knew everything about the payoffs to Stormy Daniels and and McDougal, and that. They worked. They did come from campaign funds, and there was an illegal use of uh, a, a violation of campaign law, finance laws. So you know I, that's possibly another nail, but that nail in his coffin. But I don't believe that it's going it to would change the the attitude in the country at this point. Um, I'm not sure what would. I, I think so many Trump supporters have drunk the Kool-Aid, and I think one said I heard one report of a woman at a rally who said. I, yeah, I know he lies to us all the time, but I don't care if he uh, would spout three and
1: penises. Jesus,
2: yes, penises. Uh, I'd still be for him, and that's I guess same thing as saying he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue. But um, okay, but I, I just don't think impeachment is um, would make sense for us either legisl- in in terms of uh, governance or in terms of politics.
1: All right, so I'm going to have to take – I know one of the quotes that you gave uh, this week about this was that you're not convinced – uh, that impeachment is the the right way to go uh, so I'd like my opportunity to try to convince you now my, okay, my, now, right now, now my my track record in our uh, long and storied uh, relationship is not good on this <laughs> uh, in, in trying to convince you of things uh, I, I, I often come close um, but, yeah. but 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 uh, much like uh, Beto O'Rourke I, I come up just short of, <laughs> of, of pulling off pulling off the uh, the, the impossible yeah. Um now, you agree, because you've said this, that you believe that Trump is already—we uh, already know that he has committed impeachable offenses. You, you agree with that, yep, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, all right. So and, – and there's all sorts of things that could fall under that umbrella. Uh, we both agree that he's in violation of the emoluments clause of the Constitution mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Uh, I think you would probably also agree that a very strong argument based, based upon only what we currently know could be made to the obstructed justice in the Russian investigation. You're right? You agree, yes. you agree with that? Okay. Yes. All right. So here's my, my counter argument, John. And I understand totally where you're coming from as far as uh, it's not going to be successful. I, I understand that. I, 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 no one understands the Trump cult better than I do. All right. Okay. I live in on a daily basis. These, these are, these used to be my people. So, so, and I also understand uh, the nature of the Republican Senate. Uh, And I want to talk to you about Mitch McConnell in a second, because you know, you, you had, you had said something that had given me some hope uh, previously, which I no longer have uh, about Mitch eventually stabbing uh, Trump in the back when it counted. Um, So, so I fully acknowledge that it's not going to work. But I still believe that it must be done. And let me explain briefly, as I can, uh, why. Uh, First of all, um, there there, there still must be something called just doing the right thing because it's the right thing. Uh, The the principle ought to matter. And if someone has committed impeachable offenses, even if they cannot be convicted because the jury uh, is out of their minds, uh, that, that it still must be done because it's the right thing. Uh, Number two, I believe that there is a a very real historical mark that impeachment leaves on a president, Bill Clinton being obviously the, the best example of this. Bill Clinton's life today, John, is very different, I believe, because of impeachment, which was done under Far less serious circumstances than what we're talking about with Donald Trump. I think you could even argue that Hillary Clinton never become it would have become president if not for the impeachment of Bill Clinton, because I think there was enough stench that was left on the Clinton name because of that. Uh, you could even think about this as you may be eventually preventing Ivanka Trump from becoming president uh, by impeaching Donald Trump. Uh, so so there is a historical record that I believe is important to be uh, to be held up here because bill clinton will be forever be forever described as an impeached president now he was not removed um now and as far as the political repercussions of that uh, i am strongly of the belief and you've referenced it and mitch mcconnell referenced it and i, I think even donald trump mentioned this this week there's this misperception that somehow Republicans impeaching Bill Clinton was politically damaging to them. Republicans won the House of Representatives in 1998 and in 2000, and their presidential candidate won in 2000. Now, it was much closer than they expected, but those are the facts And I don't know whether it would have been different if they had not impeached. But the the reality is this was not a disaster for Republicans, even though somehow historically it has been perceived that way. And finally, and to me the the most important part of this whole thing, John, is I think there's a good chance that this country can survive Donald Trump. We're going to need some breaks. I think we can do it as a country. The Republican Party is not going to survive Donald Trump. That's a done deal already. It's already yeah. different than it was. It's probably gone forever. But I I would like to believe as an optimist that we can survive Trump. But my fear has always been what comes next and what comes down the road. And if there's going to be someone who comes down the road and is a, and is a real tyrant, a real dictator, someone who's not a buffoon, someone who we can just laugh at, but who is able to use the fact that a democratic congress was unwilling or able to even impeach Donald Trump for similar in, in violations of the Constitution that this future tyrant is, is actually doing with far more nefarious motives, then, then I believe, John, you are setting us up. If you let Trump go without being impeached, you destroy impeachment forever. And you, and you make the standard impossible for any future real threat. To our country to be removed, does, does that,
2: Do you not see that? Yeah, I think you make a very compelling argument. You're very, very close to convincing me. Very, very close to convincing me.
1: Which means and, that eventually I'll fail. But
2: uh... no, 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 no. I mean, I, because I, I can see exactly what you're saying, and you know we keep. The other thing is we keep saying, uh, well, at least I keep saying, and many, I think many Americans do. You can't believe that he could go any lower and could do anything crazier, and he keeps going there, and maybe impeachment would be something that would make him wake up, at least that.
1: At the very least, John, you would be again, I'm assuming that— Mueller doesn't come back and exonerates him completely, which I don't believe right. is going to happen. But, but I mean, obviously, if Mueller comes back and says, you know, the president has been awesome and we saw no nothing wrong and blah blah blah, and we're not going to indict Don Jr. or whatever. I mean, if it's total exoneration, then I get it. But I don't think we're headed there. I don't think you believe we're headed there either. um no. and, and I don't know anybody that that I trust that that believes we're headed there. So, um to me, at the very least, you'll be able to say, look. We did everything we could. The Republican Senate is so in the tank for this guy and the Trump cult that they refused. they became the OJ Simpson jury and And I think that that is an argument that by the way works for you guys politically because if, if, if the the evidence here I think is strong enough already and, and, and can only get stronger that, that you can make that case that it's that it's and by the way, the Clinton example is perfect because this is way stronger, way more substantive, way more important issues than what, what Bill Clinton was impeached for. You can, you can knock Mitch McConnell over the head with the hypocrisy weapon uh, because obviously McConnell was in favor of, of Clinton's impeachment and voted for it, and, and many other Republican senators did. And, and, and by the way, John, again, just to complete my argument, this is a freebie for you guys. Because you know he's not going to be removed. You, there's there's no yeah. there, there's no there's no downside. And and frankly, I'm I'm not as in tune with your base obviously as you are. But I think your base, if you guys lay down on this, is going to get pissed off. You saw the people uh, protesting with the protect Mueller rallies this week. Oh yeah, that
2: was amazing. The, 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 so it absolutely was. Yeah. So, so to me. Well, I- I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No I-, no, I think the most compelling argument you make is that sometimes you just have to do what the right thing is and forget the electoral consequences. And even though you you may argue that that it would be fine, but for us politically, I think you may, the, the case you made is stronger be, beyond the, the political repercussions. It's if if we ha- we do have a constitutional responsibility to uh... initiate impeachment if we think impeachment is justified yes and that shouldn't be that's decision should not be an electoral one that should be uh, in accordance with our constitutional responsibilities
1: yes and and i yes. and by the way i,
2: I will i will ha- make sure that we have this conversation in our leadership meetings
1: well, that means a lot to me. Um, by the way, I'm sure this would be uh, a- absolutely impossible to do, but I'd be happy to speak to your leadership uh, uh, and-, and forgive mm-hmm. them the exact same speech uh, from a conservative perspective. And I'm, I'm only half-, half joking about that. But the reality is, I think you know how strongly I feel about this. And, and-, and-, and to me, the strongest argument is we don't know what's coming down the pipe, John. We're, we're-, we're living in bizarre times. Okay, and I I think that there is a and and, and I think that there is a and I know I know what happens when when you become it's not a crack on you. You know this. But when you're part of the establishment and you're in that bubble, I think you tend to trust the system a little bit more than someone like me who's living out in California. And I'm not in that bubble and I'm seeing the insanity at at, 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 that on the on the first level of it. Okay, and and I'm telling you, all bets are off now, John. Anything is possible, and and I, I and, and you know I hesitate because you know I've never compared Trump to Hitler because that's you know, I think that's stupid and it's right. not the same thing. But I've always believed that Trump could lead, could pave the path for. A a Hitler type figure. And if if we end up there and 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 that person is is in in a a far less vulnerable position because of the precedent that was set with Donald Trump not even being impeached by uh, the party, uh, uh, the opposition party who controlled the House. Uh, if I live long enough to see that, I'm going to be pissed at my friend John Yarmuth, regardless if you're still around or not. Uh, I, I, I doubt you're probably going to outlive me, so this, this scenario is not likely. But, 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 um, but, I, I think you understand where I'm coming from, right? I mean, I do.
2: I, I, I absolutely do, and I, I again, I think you've made a compelling case, and I, I hope all the audience un, uh, knows that. Well, they couldn't know, but I will tell them that this is how all of our conversations sound consumption or not.
1: Well, I mean, it, it is a it's well, it's part of why we love each other because it is yeah. a, it's a very unique uh, situation especially in this day and age where we conservatives and liberals can't even talk to each other. Um, right. but, but but when we met you know a few months ago earlier this summer at, the, at Pebble Beach, I mean you knew and, and I knew we, we, were, we were talking about a very serious situation where where the hell we were headed as a country? Not, this is not trivial. This is real. this is not a, this is not a drill is what I guess I'm trying to say.
2: Well exactly <laughs> as well as we started the program, I said we did sa- I think we saved democracy for the time being. Uh, and I said all throughout this campaign, that I've never been more afraid for the sustainability of our democracy as I am right now. And I think, you know, the future of our democracy was on the ballot.
1: Well, I'm going to hold you to that, and I, it means a lot to me that you've you've heard me out and that you you've at least been close to being convinced. Although I, I'm kind of like uh, Lucy with the, the Charlie Brown football, <laughs> I'm, I'm the Charlie Brown, and because I I felt like I convinced you a couple of times before, and it, it doesn't turn out. But I, I feel a little more confident in this one because I, I can I can tell that you 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 have had your mind at least somewhat changed, um, and yep. that and that does mean a lot. Um, well, the last couple of things, real quick. Uh, Okay, so let's take impeachment out of—well, impeachment you can't take totally out of this equation. But um, let's go to the issue uh, of—assuming Nancy is the speaker—and the issue of leveraging uh, this to try to get what you want from Trump, because I believe that Trump is going to be very willing to do that. You think he's going demonization— I lean towards more uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger model, uh, which is to basically become a Democrat. Only in this case, to save himself, uh, and that he's going to be counting on his old friend Nancy, who 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 he sent the front page of the newspaper to when she became Speaker, saying "You're you're the greatest." Uh, by the way, did you know that he did that? Did you know that?
2: I did not know that. No.
1: No, there's a Nancy has in her office or somewhere that's framed a a, a front page of I think it might have been I'm not sure which paper it was, but she becomes speaker and and Trump has signed it. Nancy, you're the greatest, uh, Donald Trump. (laughs) Um, So he he thinks his old you know you know how Trump's mind works. He thinks if you're a friend of his, right, you know, then you're inherently good, Um, and so he thinks he can deal with her. Uh, And I think that there's I think you guys are gonna I, I think you guys are gonna get enticed. Uh, with uh, with what he's offering now w- whether or not Mitch McConnell's going to go w- along with it uh, is a big 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 if but right. um, uh, what do you th- under the scenario I'm outlining w- what is your priority I think you can get an infrastructure bill through because uh, that's not uh, not really that political but other right. than that uh, what do you guys think you can actually get through assuming Trump's willing to deal well
2: I think um, it's not a top priority with us, but it's a priority is criminal justice reform, and there's, there's a fair amount of bipartisan interest in doing that. Even Rand Paul uh, from our party is, has been pretty outspoken about the need to do that. Um, you know, we, I don't know whether he's willing to deal with it on immigration reform, but as you know, I was part of the bipartisan gang of eight that uh, came up with a plan in 2013 that ultimately didn't get to the floor of the House, but we were convinced would pass. Uh, so I I know that there is a bipartisan approach to that that can work, and I would think that he would want that. If he insists on 25 billion for a, a wall, that's problematic. But if he were willing to compromise and say, "All right, we're going we'll, to," just throw out a number of uh, 15 billion dollars for border security without specifying a wall, then you know we might have uh, an opportunity to do a a very important thing on a bipartisan basis. And that, 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 I think those would be the first three that would come to mind.
1: You don't really believe you're going to get some sort of comprehensive immigration reform through... Uh... Well, you know, it
2: passed the Senate in 2013 with 24 Republican votes. And so I know it can be done. Again, our, we had a, a bipartisan group negotiating it in the House. We were sure it had at least 260 votes in the House house is a little bit different now than it was in 2013, but I think the house is actually more, would be more receptive to it. And uh, you know I, I, it's certainly worth a try uh, uh, the only no, part of the the only part
1: of that that makes any sense to me is that I I am a big believer in the 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 only uh you know only nixon could go to china theory which is mm-hmm. you know only trump could possibly sell out uh, completely on immigration because he's got, <laughs> he's got so much he's got so much street cred with his cult uh and and so I and he but here's the here's the problem with that uh, I I don't believe he would go for it unless you gave him his wall and, you know, you're the chairman of the budget committee. You're the guy now being touted as the guy who can stop Donald Trump's wall. You're not going to give him his wall, are you?
2: No, I, I would not give him $25 billion for a wall. But I, I think there is a way to compromise on that. You know, we, get, we gave him a billion and a half, and he's saying we give, gave it to him for the wall. He's been ta- ta- saying the ball wall was under construction, which, it of course, isn't. I mean, they're doing maintenance on some parts of the existing wall, mhm uh, so I, you know, I think there's hedge room there, but beyond those three possible topics, I'm not sure where there's a, a likely bipartisan avenue for anything. I mean, we'd like to do something on student loan debt. That's an incredibly important national issue. Um, definitely, we've got a gun package. Uh, I think in terms of election reform, there are a lot of things that we will propose and and pass. Probably none of them will pass the Senate. Um, so All right. I don't see Trump as being as, in, as much an impediment on some of these things as the Senate.
1: Okay. So let's, that's going to be my last, uh, subject of inquiry, which mm-hmm. of course is Mitch McConnell. And we've already mentioned him. Uh, obviously you guys are both in Kentucky. You guys have a long history of being rivals, which is why I, you know, I know the media would love it if uh, you decided to run against <laughs> him in, in 2020, because it would be the most interesting Senate race in, in the country, probably. Um, but, um, you you have said, and I've referenced this earlier you, you said a long time ago that you thought That when push came to shove That McConnell, I don't know if you said To do the right thing, but that McConnell Would see it in his interest to essentially Sabotage Trump uh, I, I put a lot of stake in that uh, But based upon the, the way he has handled The first few days of this, I no longer Believe that uh, uh, The fact that he's been totally silent on Matt Whitaker, which is basically usurping his own Authority, because Whitaker was not confirmed by the Senate, uh, and the fact that he was warning you guys about presidential harassment, which was hilarious. uh, um, Those two things signaled to me um, that Mitch McConnell is not getting ready to be the hero. Uh, So where do you see uh, what Mitch McConnell is going to be doing uh, with all this? Because he's in a very interesting situation.
2: Well, he is. And yeah, he's been disappointed. I told him to I told him to his face um a year ago i said mitch you know it's gonna be it's gonna be up to you to save the country and he looked at me like i was crazy i said no i'm not kidding it's gonna be up to you because paul ryan's not gonna do it and so i i don't really know where he is now it's it, it's confusing to me too i thought i thought the the whitaker thing i think he would re. i thought he would react differently to that for sure instead of just saying well i'm i'm not, the, the investigation the Mueller investigation is not going to be stopped um you know that that uh I'm not very confident in that he really has an understanding of where that is right now or has knowledge of where it is because he said the same thing months ago, so I don't really know where mitch is uh, he's He's very committed to running again in twenty twenty and he has a lot of seats at stake next year, so he he has to worry about what he puts in front of the Senate and whether that jeopardizes people like Susan Collins and others. But um, as as long as I've known him, it doesn't mean I really understand him all that well.
1: Well, he, you know, I, I've always perceived him as a, an ultimate political guy and a great yeah. number counter. I, I think he's a lot like Nancy Pelosi, ironically enough, um, obviously politically very different, but, um, but just from as far as a, a motivation and mindset standpoint, they're, uh, and very good at running, you know, his caucus and, and creating yep. discipline and what have you, a lot like Nancy. Um, but uh, he wants to keep his majority. And um, I don't maybe maybe we can't figure out where he is because he can't figure out how that's possible. I mean, I mean, with all the seats they have to defend in 2020, w- with a potentially catastrophically unpopular candidate, uh, who's going to draw out huge numbers, I don't know how you do that. And and so to me, and and, and I, mean, I it may, obviously, I'm wired very differently than Mitch McConnell. Um, but to me, if that's the case, once you realize that that's not going to happen, wouldn't you just do the right thing and let the chips fall where they may?
2: I mean, you would you would hope so, but you you raise an important point. I'm not sure Mitch knows what the right thing is. You know, I I think Mitch has been a, a political calculator for so long, and he he only thinks through what's, one prism and that 's um, that 's the electoral one, which is of course the big problem that 's been facing in the entire Congress, both parties it 's rarely about what the best policy is it 's what how do I get an advantage over the other side electorally and that 's all Mitch has ever calculated for, for his entire life, so i 'm not sure he knows what the right thing is.
1: Mm interesting. Well, John, as always, uh, it's awesome to talk to you. I really appreciate all the time you gave us, and I really, really, really appreciate you hearing me out on the impeachment thing. I'm, I'm guessing this is not the last conversation we'll have about that. Uh, <laughs> Probably not. But no. c- but you know, because you know I'm going to be looking over your shoulder, and uh, I can guarantee the next time you make a, c- a comment about that, you're going to go, oh, Ziegler's going to text me for sure. Um, but uh, But anyway, in all seriousness, John, thanks so much. I really do appreciate it.
2: Great to talk to you, and I'm sure we'll be talking soon.
1: All right, take care. That's uh, Congressman John uh, John Yarmuth, the uh, future chairman of the Budget Committee, uh, the man who is being touted as the guy who will stop uh, Donald Trump's wall, which was never going to happen to begin with. But I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. That's as good as it's ever going to get. In a conversation between a uh, conservative and a uh, liberal politician of some note. I mean, in all seriousness, you will never, ever, 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 especially in this era, hear a conversation like that. That's the the kind of stuff you can only get right here on the World According to Zig podcast, which is why I only ask uh, two things of you. Number one, please share this via word of mouth, social media, Twitter, Facebook, what have you. And uh, oh, number two, do yourself a favor. Uh, if you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep, you use sheets, please uh, pay attention to this message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com.
0: Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. (laughs) (laughs) Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.